0: You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. Hey, I have some great news for you guys, actually. Incredible news. You are all still on track for your New Year's resolutions. Possibly one of you had like a morning, a Sunday morning resolution and you've already failed that. It's okay, we're gonna join you soon. Probably in the weeks to come, the news is gonna get worse. So we're just gonna celebrate today that most of us, we're still trucking, we're there. I know that not all of you are New Year's resolutions kind of people. Some of you are not goal setting kind of people. You're better than that. Uh, But the New Year's does have a way of getting us to think about our lives. Just things we want to change, things we want to accomplish. This is the time of year when businesses and churches and people are making plans, which is a good thing. The Bible commends wise planning. Jesus had goals and plans. There's nothing wrong with planning, but there is a wrong way to do it. And I'm not talking about techniques. I'm talking about a mindset. What should be normal for the Christian, when we think about our lives and when we think about our plans, what should be normal is that we're thinking about God, his kingdom, his authority, his resources, his power, his grace, his providence in all of the details of our lives. That's what should be normal, but it's not often the case. Often uh, we, we believe in those things, of course, but functionally, in the way we go about our lives, those things are actually in the background. In fact, it feels so normal that we're not even aware of it. So to begin our year, I want to look at this little text in James 4, where James addresses directly, speaks directly to people who are making plans. And he doesn't have a problem with planning. He doesn't criticize the plans that they've made. Uh, His problem and the rebuke that he gives in this text has to do with their mindset. Like, the things that they say, the words that they're saying reveals a certain kind of pride in their hearts. Now, when we think about pride, we typically think of something really brash or very overtly rebellious. But pride can be very subtle as well. It can show up in everyday stuff. It can feel so normal that it just goes undetected in our lives. That's what James is talking about here. He's talking about the subtle pride of presumption. Just the idea that we know what needs to happen or that we know how things are gonna go. It's, it's functionally living life as if God weren't real or involved or as if we didn't really need him. And this is often how we live. We have desires and we act on them. We set goals and we pursue them. We make plans and we assume that if we just follow through, then Things will go as planned. It's so normal that it doesn't feel wrong, does it? In fact, it feels kind of good. It feels like we got our stuff together. feels like we got some measure of control in our lives. And James is saying, yeah, this thing that feels normal and even good to you, it's laced with pride. And God is not neutral in the matter. Earlier in James 4 and verse 6, James gives us this summary statement that applies to all of the stuff in chapter four. He says, God is opposed to the proud. See, there's this thing that we all do, this thing that's so normal. We do it in our sleep, we're not even aware of it, and God's opposed to it. That's the bad news. The good news is in the second half of that verse. So in verse six, he says, God's opposed to the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. So so there's a rebuke here for us. But there is also so much grace here for us. I don't want you to miss it. Grace is not just like about forgiveness. It certainly is that. But grace is also divine favor, divine blessing, divine power. Grace is the means by which God accomplishes his plans through his people. And that grace is available in abundance to us today. The only thing that would keep us from it is pride. Pride can take a lot of forms, but James is putting his finger on this issue of presumption and he's saying, hey, let's think about this because if we can deal with this and then walk humbly with God, guess what? God gives grace to the humble. So we're gonna just look at three things. We're gonna look at the pride of presumption the foolishness of presumption and then the path of humility. Open up your Bibles to James 4. We'd love for you to look at it with me. Starting in verse 13. I was talking with the young man recently about his life, about God and the Bible. and I mean, I'm a pastor, so that's what we talk about. It's just that kind of churchy stuff. And at some point in the conversation, he said, yeah, yeah, I don't, Like, I don't disagree with any of this. I I just don't think about it that much. And I was like, well, you know, yeah, that's kind of the thing, you know? Like, we think about it. Like, Christians think about God a lot, actually. Like, we're thinking about what God is like, what God wants, how we might honor him and please him with our lives. We're thinking about him not just at church. We're thinking about him at home and at work, even in our leisure, even when Netflix comes on, we're thinking about God. Like, if you're not thinking about God, what are you doing? Now, he didn't actually say that arrogantly. He wasn't boasting about it. He was just trying to be honest about his life. But underneath his words, which sound innocent, there's a pride that he can't see. And that's what James begins to confront in verse 13. Look at it with me. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. So look, we look at that statement just face value and we're like, yeah, okay, that's how life works, right? We make plans and we do them. We can expect certain outcomes. If we follow the plans, I mean, that's how it goes. And James says, well, you think you know how it goes, but actually, verse 14 You do not know what tomorrow will bring. Like we cannot guarantee that tomorrow will even exist. Much less can I control what will happen tomorrow if it does exist. And so we would like to think about this statement and be like, hey, were you just struggling to find things to preach about today? Like this does not sound like that big of a deal. This is how we live. Everyone lives like this. Like what is the big deal here? Of course, technically, we do not know how, what tomorrow will bring, but we do, right? Like today's going pretty much like you guys look about like I thought you were going to look yesterday when I was thinking about you. I think I know how tomorrow is going to go. I'm pretty sure I know what's going to happen tomorrow. I mean, it's been this way for a long time. A lot of days behind. Like this is just how life works. What's the big deal? James says the big deal here is that you act like you know But in reality, you don't know. You act like life is about your resources and abilities. And he said, that is so presumptuous. Notice what's missing from this statement. Today or tomorrow, verse 13, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Sounds like a good plan. Like what's missing from the plan? God. There's no mention of God. The issue is not that they don't believe in God. The issue is that many people who believe in God often go about their lives without thinking about him very much. Look at the presumption in this statement. The statement presumes that we are master over our lives. I'll be alive tomorrow. I'll probably be alive this time next year. So. There's plenty of time for me to pursue my plans and accomplish my goals. The statement presumes we're master over our choices. I mean, look at all of the decisions being made here. They decide when they're gonna go, where they're gonna go, for how long they're gonna go, what they're gonna do when they get there. Like we live as if all that that stands between us and reality is just deciding. Whatever we decide will be so. The statement presumes we're master of our own abilities. Not only will they decide where and when and how long they're going to be there, they determine the outcomes. We're going to make a profit. Of course we're going to make money. We're competent people. That's how it goes. When you live this way, listen, this is the heart of it. When you live this way, as if you don't really need God or worse, if God's not really real, you will naturally and inevitably put yourself in the place of God. When you don't think about God that much, you assume the place of God. The less you think about God, the more you will become your own God. Let me give you a simple example. Like we believe that God knows everything, right? He knows everything including what's best for you, right? So we, we believe that. But when you're not attentive to that reality, conscious of it, submissive to it regularly, daily, when that's not part of your mindset, then you begin to assume the place of God. You begin to want to know everything and think you know everything. This is why we worry, isn't it? Because we think we know what needs to happen and we're worried that it might not. This is why we're discontent, because we think we know what should have happened and it didn't. It's why we envy, because we think we know what we deserve and don't have. If we said okay, I would like for these things to happen. I would like to have these things. I wish this would have happened. If we say all those things and then we say, but I don't know, actually. I don't know what's best for me. So I, I, I want these things. we am gonna plan for these things. we am gonna pray for these things. But in the end, I don't know. God knows. I'm gonna trust it. That's very different, isn't it? That's the way of humility. You will still be frustrated and discouraged and disappointed at times, But in humility, you will be able to take those emotions to God, the one who knows. If your emotions terminate on you, then you've become your own God. If life, if your confidence in life is really just about your abilities and resources and knowledge, you've you've become your own God. That's what's going on here. Verse 16, he says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, which means you, you glory in your resources and abilities. You think that's what's making life work? It's prideful. Presumption is prideful because it puts self in the place of God. It gets worse. It's also foolish because we're not God. Pick up in verse 14 with me. Beginning of verse 14, he says, uh, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Then he asks this question, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That's pretty blunt. Like James is saying, here's how I know you're not God. God is eternal, and you, my friend, are a mist. When I got out this morning, there was a, Uh, kind of a misty fog across the city it was pretty cool the lake looked just mysterious it was hard to see at times as I was driving through downtown I was like this is cool that's gone right that's gone now it was gone by the time I got to the office that's your life it's kind of cool it's interesting in some ways and then it's gone even if you live a long life it's fleeting like we're just flowers in the field people We dance around in our moment of glory, but it is just a moment and then it's gone, it's a mist. Now, this isn't just about the span of your life, it's also about the substance of your life. Like what is your life? What is the substance of your life? What is it that makes you feel uh, important, successful? What is it that makes life feel meaningful to you? What is it that makes you feel secure or right? Not about everything, of course, but about most things. What is that? Whatever it is, whatever feels like the substance of your life, James is saying it's not as reliable as you think. It's a mist. In this little parable that James tells in the passage about these merchants The thing for them is money. That's the substance. Which makes sense, because money's kind of a thing for a lot of us, isn't it? Uh, If you have plenty of money, some of you do, you feel that cushion, I know you do. You feel prepared to meet your own needs, to deal with the challenges that life is bringing you. Uh, You feel that. You have plans for your money. People with money have plans for their money. Purchasing plans, investment plans, retirement plans, vacation plans. Like they got plans for things that their money's gonna do for them. Brings a sense of security, confidence, control. Even when you have money, here's the thing it can't secure the deepest longings of your soul for love, for meaning, purpose, for God. And more than that, that money's gonna go away when you go away. Maybe before then, it's a mist. None of the plans for your money are wrong. They're just not as reliable as you think. Now, if you don't have plenty of money, you're not off the hook because here's what I know about you. You think that if you did have plenty of money, then life would be okay. I don't know if you guys remember like a month or so ago, the Powerball got up to $2.4 billion. Don't pretend you didn't think about that. And for whatever reason, the ads were just coming across a lot on my feed and because Google knows what I want. And, and it just started getting in my head. And I was like, maybe I'll go buy a ticket. I mean, I'll just go down there. I don't even know where you do that, but I'll figure it out. I'll go down there. I get a ticket, one ticket, one ticket. More than one ticket's gambling. One ticket's just giving God a chance. I'm gonna get a ticket. My family was out of town, it's like they won't even know. I mean, they're gonna know when I get the 2.4 bill, that they're gonna, I don't think they're gonna mind. At that point, I don't think they're gonna look over it. Some of you are concerned. I didn't get the ticket, but here's what I did. I started daydreaming about what I would do with all that money. Like I started by giving 90% away because that's easy to do when you start with $2.4 billion. All right, so I gave 90% away. So I still have a lot, like plenty of money. What I would define as plenty of money. And I started thinking about what I would do with that. And I got in kind of detailed into it, you know, like, okay, house, house, car, college, retirement. I'm gonna get Kendall something, you know, like. (laughs) I started just thinking in detail what I would, and you know what happened? This, this kind of calm came over my body. Like just for a moment, the pressures of life lifted. You see what's going on there? I think money is gonna make life okay. And James says, yeah, that's foolish. Money's a Mist. Jesus told a parable, a story about a guy like this in Luke 12, he had an abundance of crops. His main problem in life was just figuring out where to put all his stuff, where to keep all the riches. And so he thought to himself, here's what, I, I will build big barns. I'm gonna tear down the barns I have, build bigger ones, put all my stuff in there. And he said to himself, I will say to my soul, when I get all that done, I'll say, soul, you have ample goods for many years. You made it, just relax, eat, drink, be merry. You can afford the Austin food scene, just do it. The critique that in the parable is not against his success. It's not against how he made his money. He's not accused of dishonesty The problem was that he did not think about God. If you look at the language in the parable, it's all him. He thought to himself, he said, I will. He determines, he imagines determining the outcome of what his actions will bring. He presumes he has ample goods for many years, but in the next verse, Jesus says, but God said to him, you fool. That kind of presumption is so foolish. This very night your soul will be required of you. And then what? Then where does all this stuff go? Whose is it now? It's a mist. And Jesus says, so it is with everyone who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. His presumption in the parable is not just prideful, it's foolish. He thought that the substance of life was laying up treasure for himself. He thought that he could secure a long and happy life for himself, but he didn't realize that life is a mist. Instead, he could have been rich toward God. That's the substance of life. And then Jesus says to his disciples, y'all need to learn from this guy. A person's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That ain't life. What's the substance of your life? What's the thing that you are grasping for? What do you think will make life okay? We think we know what's best, that's prideful. And we grasp for substance in the mist, that's foolish. The life that we really long for and the life that God longs to give us comes by grace. And so James tells us how to live a life of humility so that we might receive God's grace. Look at verse 15. Instead, that's an important word. There's another way to live. Instead of presumption, there's another way to live. There's a way to live in which God is not in the background, but at the very center of our thoughts. We can be so wrapped up in God's grace that in such a way that our lives transcend the mist. Because that's the tension in the text, right? If I am a mist, then What is the point of my life? Apart from God, I don't actually have a very good answer to that question. But because of God, your life has immense meaning and purpose. Jesus says that we can lay up treasures in heaven. We can take this small and fleeting life of ours and invest it in things that last. We can bring our money and our time and our ability and our plans under the authority and the rule of God. That is a life of substance. In that sense, everything you do in this world matters. Paul says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God because anything done to the glory of God with that mindset matters. It lasts. Presumption sounds like this, we'll go here and there and we'll do this or that, normal enough. Humility sounds like this, verse 15, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills. James is not telling us just to attach this slogan to everything that we say. Like when you're at work on Tuesday and you say, all right guys, I'm gonna go to lunch, God willing, don't do that. That's annoying to most people. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about a certain kind of mindset. He's asking us to be aware of who is in control of our lives. It's interesting, there are two statements here. There's a statement in verse 13 and a very similar statement in verse 15. Verse 13 is what we ought not to say. And verse 15 is what we should say. Here's the interesting thing. The outcome is the same in both verses. We will live and do this or that. The difference between the two verses is who causes the outcome. In verse 13, I will do it. And in verse 15, it's the Lord's will. Our lives are in his hands. See, it's not just my plans, it's my very existence. I will live and do this or that. I mean, my very existence is by the grace of God. This isn't determinism. You know, this isn't just going about your life and being like, well, you know, whatever God wants to happen will happen, I'm just gonna keep doing my thing. That's not what this is. This is actively seeking the Lord so that we might do his will. You know, when Jesus taught the disciples to pray, this is how he begins. He's like, start by thinking about God. Hallowed be your name. And then make your core desire his kingdom to come, his will to be done. Then you can move on to your needs and plans. Once you've got your thoughts on God, now you even know how to think about your own life. And you can, you can realize that you are daily dependent upon him for provision and for forgiveness and for protection. This is how we pray. Jesus is is telling us, hey, this, just start with this every day if you want to walk in humility. Bring your life under God. And He models this for us. Jesus is always thinking about the Father. He says, like "I, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say the words that the Father has given me to say. It's constant. There's this constant acknowledgement in Jesus' life of God's control of things and a constant submission to God's will to the point that he's able to discern that it is in fact God's will for him to be crucified. Most of us do not expect to come to that place in our prayer lives where we think that's what God's asking us to do. Jesus said, in fact, yes, you die to yourself daily. The reason Jesus is able in that moment to say, your will be done, not my will, is because of all of these other little moments that he's been bringing his life underneath the rule and authority of God. This is God's grace toward us in Christ, that he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. Peter said, Jesus died the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God notice the point of his death to bring us to God to bring us into relationship with God to bring us into fellowship with God to bring us into the realm of God's grace to bring us into God's plans God wants to accomplish his plans through his people and so it is so normal for a Christian to say Lord This life you've given me is by your grace. It's not mine. It belongs to you. What do you want to do? What are your plans for 2023? How can I, what do you want me to, how do you want me to be involved in that? That would just be so normal to say that daily. It's by his grace. That's a far cry from, no, I agree with all the things you're saying. I just don't think about it very much. The way we deal with presumption is to pursue humility with God. And the way we pursue humility with God is simply just to think about him a lot. I mean, a lot. I'm gonna give you one big application for the year. Think about God as much as you can. So I'm gonna say all the normal pastor stuff now. Like go to church, be in community, read the Bible. In Paul's words, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in every circumstance. Those aren't platitudes, he's saying, this is how you live life. Always be thinking about God, always. Because it puts yourself in a place of humility and when you put yourself in a place of humility, you receive grace upon grace. Forgiveness, blessing, power for life. The reason, pastors are always telling you to do these basic things is because this is how we get more of God and he is the substance of life. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.